0: Today's scripture reading is from 2 Samuel 21, verses 15 through 22. If you'd like to follow along in our pew Bibles, this is on page 274. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zuriah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibbecai the Hushithite struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan the son of Jari Origim the Bethlehemite struck down Goliath the Gidite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shammai, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. The message this morning is brought to you by ChatGPT. Also, I haven't used it yet, actually, for, for that. I've, I've used it for other purposes, like emails and things, and I, I sound a lot smarter, and I know mean, people would think, like, it's not me, so I have to, like, go back. Just, if you're here visiting uh, for the first time and you're wondering uh, how in the world did they come to study this chapter, like this is so random, we systematically go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and so this is where we're at. Um, I love it because uh, we, we don't miss anything, but also it's challenging at times because you have to go through verses that are very unpopular, especially within our, within our culture, but, here we are. Maybe we just kind of go through it. So, um, here we are at the end of chapter 21. This is a military report, in essence. And for some of you, you will find that military history is fascinating. And you're kind of excited to hear about this. And for others of you, you're probably like just bored already. But there are some really significant biblical lessons for us to glean from this. So verses 15 through 17, there, Stephanie has already read for us. Ish Ishibnab um, sees this exhausted David in battle, and so he he's thinking, no, I'm just going to finish this off. This is, if I do this, this is this is done. We're we're done. And it tells us that he's uh, the spear that he has weighs 300 shekels of bronze. And if you go back to Goliath, this is double the weight. Uh, and so here he has, I don't know if they learned their lesson in terms of like hey that was just too heavy of a spear he can't wield it as well or if he's just like a, a smaller person than Elias anyway we're given this detail, Abishai comes to the rescue kills Ishibanab, well <clears throat> this is a, a very very sobering moment for David's military leaders and come up with this new policy for David that you know what, you, you're no longer allowed into the battlefield can't go anymore because having David out on the battlefield is very risky because he is killed in battle. This is a, a disastrous thing for Israel. So much hinges on David, and to think that so much hinges on a singular person—not something that is the or any type of structure. Kind of want to spread that leadership out, but th- this, that's the case here and, and often the case even in our context of the world. Think of companies like Tesla and what would happen if there, or if you look at your beloved warriors and think, well, what happens if Steph Curry is no longer there? That there are these very important people that kind of make this organization go, whether it's teams or corporations churches, businesses, whatever it is, that there are, are, are these things that hinge on a singular person, and it's actually found all over the Bible uh, to even a greater extent, because you know Elon Musk is, is replacing replaceable. But there are instances in the Bible where that one person that is, is, it's hinged upon that person, that person is not replacing him. And you look at people like Isaac in Genesis 22, there would no longer be a covenant lineage through Abraham if that sacrifice happened. Or if you look at Exodus 2, that Jewish liberation from this little baby that flows down the Nile wouldn't happen in the person of Moses if that princess of Egypt did not save him. The singular person, it's all hinging on him. And then here in 2 Samuel 21, there would be no Israel if Ishibanab killed David, the one person you look in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2, there's no salvation without Jesus, the one who was saved from the infanticide of Herod. But God always preserves his deliverers. He always leaves a remnant of his chosen, of his leaders. And so let's take a look at verses 18 through 21 here. After this, there was again war with the Philistines of Gob. Then Sibbecai the Hushathite, struck down Saf, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines. And then it skipped down to 20. It says, and there was war again. And so you hear this, "There was war again, there's war again, there's war again. Something to keep in mind is that, you know, Goliath was taken care of back in 1 Samuel. And you would think like, oh, my giant's taken care of and I'm done. And that's not life you actually get confronted with giants over and over again in your life don't you one after another and you think like oh the biggest thing it's it's gone like this biggest obstacle in my life it's gone and then you find out that there it comes again and here it comes again yeah god is so faithful to provide a deliverance to to provide a way out and you look, you look at the, the four servants that God has provided here, Abishai, Zibukai, Elhanan, and Jonathan, and we're given their full names. Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Zibukai, the Hushathite, Ethanon, son of Jaari, Oregon, and Jonathan, son of Shimei, bro- David's brother. And these soldiers risk their lives to fight an enemy who appears much stronger than them, who appear much more seasoned and have the the weaponry and the resources to fight and they have a a new weapon and they have bigger weapons and of course it's not those people that deserve the praise and the honor it's it's god god is providing the deliverance yet the bible does honor these guys as there is honor for many even though there aren't they aren't the ones where the, the the one result hinges on that person and again we we see this pattern in the Bible that even though there is a one that hinges, there's this group of people that make it happen. There's a team of people that, that make things happen. And you look at Paul, as to whom much of the New Testament is given credit for, and a lot of it hinges upon him and his missionary journeys to, to spread the gospel throughout the known world back then. But then he can't do it himself, obviously. He speaks of all the people he writes letters to that have helped him out in prison. And, and just as one example, he honors Prisa and Aquila, Romans chapter 16, verses three and four. Greet Prisa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And there's all the prison epistles where he's thanking people that come support him, that you can't do it by yourself. Even Jesus, whom our salvation hinges on, he honors his disciples. Read this in Luke Luke 22, verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. That Christ still leaned on a group of people to help him minister. And there aren't many people who get this praise and this credit, because there are so many that aren't listed in the Bible who helped Paul, who helped Jesus But there are so many who contribute to the work of the ministry and our church is similar. There are so many who the past couple decades have contributed to their ministry. There are many elders, not just the ones that we have today that have contributed to this ministry. There are many deacons, there are many godly servants who have ministered to so many people over the past couple of decades, and there are many people who have ministered to these hurting and fearful people within our sanctuary and within our doors, and and it's proper to honor them even though we don't recall all of them by name. Verse 22, these four were descended from the giants of Gath and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And just there are, just as there are four servants, there are these four whom they fought against, who are the offspring of Rephaim, who are descendants of giants. They most likely belong to the Rephaim, who are referenced in Genesis chapter 14, 15, Deuteronomy 2 and 3, and Joshua 16. They're known for this gigantic size. We're not told if this, if these people are the last of their kind, but Abraham was promised the land from where the Rehaim used to occupy. So, go back to Genesis 15. Starting in verse 18, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now the important piece to remember in all of this, I know for a lot of us we kind of go off to this like, ooh, giants, let's talk about them. I'm going to try to keep it more theological. You guys can research your giant stuff on your own. The important thing to remember is how true God's word is. That God keeps his promises. And that we can rest upon those promises and the faithfulness of God. The, the, the demise of the Rephaim who, who were on the side of the Philistines this is repeated in verses 15, 17, 18, and 19, and it's a clear reminder that all who come against God, these new giants that are popping up in your life and that will continue popping up in your life, all these things that come against his word, and not necessarily to you personally, but to, to against his word, all his promises will still hold true. None of them will fail. None of them will be false. And as far as this timeline goes in, Second Samuel 21, we're not told when this happens. We just know that it's after he's defeated Goliath. We, we don't know when in the story it is. In Second Samuel 21, just as we looked at the first half of it last time, we, the, it seems like the author kind of goes back into the narrative and, and starts sharing some of these stories that kind of are not chronological anymore. But here we are, and, and we're, we're presented these very powerful Philistines who are also defeated, even though it's after Goliath, and, and God has done what he said he would do in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 18. It reads this. Now then bring it about, for the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. And the Philistines weren't defeated during Saul's reign. They were defeated during David's reign. Because that's who God used to defeat them and that's what God said he would do. And just as God was with David in 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the Valley of Elah where, where Goliath was defeated, God showed himself true, this, this promise keeper in 2 Samuel chapter 21 that God's promises, they don't change no matter who the person is that, that may be different, or whether that timeline is after your first deliverance, that, that his promises don't change, and what he said is gonna stay true no matter how long events take, or, or, or who comes and goes during that time, God's word remains true and faithful, and that's so important for us to remember. That God's promises, even those made many, many generations ago, he keeps them. He does not change his mind. And they prove true ultimately at the end and in 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 your current present time you may be wondering like, I don't know, I don't know, but I want to assure you because I know for some of you this, this time may be a difficult time because if it's not your faith, it's someone you know and who's close to you that you look at their faith and it's, it's being challenged and it's really tough for them to see how God is present and there and, and that life is just happening and it seems to be pulling your loved ones away from their faith and it seems like those giants are winning. And to see the biggest and and the toughest giants like like the one found in verses twenty through twenty one that you you're, you're looking at your loved ones and you're thinking like man it it's just pulling their faith away from God that, and you can see it in the world and you can see it in the culture like the, you have all these big temptations and these big problems and these big issues that are contradictory to the word of God, that they are, they are not holy things, and yet it seems like it's succeeding, it's winning, that we have to keep our mind on the promises of God that he's going to come through. See, the writer gives us this description of this Fourth warrior in particular, and you can see that it's war again, war again, war again, war again. And and when we get to this fourth warrior in verses 20 through 21, we're, we're not given his name, but he's quite impressive. And we're given the names of the other ones before, but this one, we are not given his name. We just know that it's this very imposing, this very powerful enemy that we're told has six digits on, on his hands and his feet. And it's, it's a noticeable difference because if you have an extra finger on your hand or extra toe on your foot, you, you, you kind of notice those things. And I think the writer is pointing out this difference in anatomy, in anatomy just as, as a fact, that this is how it is. It's, I, don't, I don't know if there's any significant beyond, significance beyond that. But the important part isn't his anatomy. The important part is his attitude. And it's the words that he says and, and what he represents. And one would have thought that he would have learned from his predecessor Goliath, or even the other giants who have fallen prior to him, like you would think you learned your lesson by now, right? Like you've seen that you cannot go against God's word and succeed. You cannot go against God's word and think that you're going to be victorious, but this is the problem with those who are reliant on their flesh that they are self-reliant to think that i'm the exception and we're the exception and we're the best we've got it figured out this time and we're going to overtake this old way of thinking even though their god has said certain things and given them certain promises we're going to be successful this time we are different thinking that they are the exception to god that their time is the more present time, that we are the contemporary, we are the new, we are the more evolved, we are, we've developed more, we think more, uh, we have better things, we have better technology. And so here's this six-fingered man, a different one from The Princess Bride, by the way. Um, so Inigo is approaching this guy. And um, if you haven't seen that movie, uh, I recommend it. It's fun. But he doesn't learn and he does the exact same thing Goliath did in 1 Samuel 17, right? You look at this verb. It's a very important verb in verse 21 of 2 Samuel 21. He taunted Israel. He taunted Israel. Now, the Hebrew word that is used here is the word herev, which means to taunt, to defy, to blaspheme. Um, rail, mock, deride, it has those synonyms. And what's interesting is, is that it is the same Hebrew word that you find in First Samuel 17 when Goliath does this. When Goliath does this to Israel and to David. And so you look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, Let's look at the first one. He does this several times, actually. Verse 10, and the Philistine said, "'I defy the ranks of Israel this day. "'Give me a man that we may fight together.'" And then you skip down to verse 25 of 1 Samuel 17, "'And the men of Israel said, "'Have you seen this man who has come up? "'Surely he has come up to defy Israel.'" And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then the very next verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach, there's that word, from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that we, he should defy? the Second time, two times in verse 26, the armies of the living God. You skip down to verse 36, your servant, has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then lastly, verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and I, and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And that's that word, here. And so this six-fingered man... Does the same thing that Goliath did, he is taunting, he's defying, he's blaspheming, he's reproaching. The interesting thing is, did he think that he was going to meet a different end than all the predecessors before him? He obviously did, otherwise he wouldn't have done this. And so here's the deal. We can look back at our own human history and all the moments of defying against God and then the revivals that pop up after and all these things. And, and we're looking at our world currently and obviously we, we see statistics, we, all the statistics of the churches on decline and, and people aren't becoming Christians and all these things. And it's true in the United States. It's not the same all over the world. It's different in Asia, it's different in Africa, it's different in South America, but for our context in America, yes, it looks that way. And you can look at the more developed countries like Western Europe or Australia, and it's happening in those places as well. But well, we have to remember that God's promises are true and the giants that we face today are the same, same ones that the people of God have faced before generations before us. And it's just a different time and God's promises are true and there is going to be a remnant and there is going to be a deliverance that God's promises hold true no matter who or what those giants are and when they appear that they ultimately face their own demise when they are confronted with God and his word, his promises. See, David defeated Goliath. Jonathan, the son of Shimai, David's bro- brother defeated the, the six-fingered man in verse 21, and then you have all the other warriors of David who defeated all those previous giants in between there. And we tend to remember the story of David and Goliath. Even non-believers will use this story in terms of like the underdog story and in sports analogies and whatever they use. Even though Jonathan did the exact same thing with the six-fingered man, we we tend to still remember David and Goliath. And, And so this is us. We tend to forget all the different giants, whether in our personal lives or in the history, of the church or whether whether it's just us dealing with things that back in David's day or today are are the same giants who who trash-talk God who who put down God in attempt in an attempt to to silence God's people and there are things for us to remember when facing these giants that it's not just a one-time thing that David succeeded against Goliath there were there's a a string of examples all the way through to Jonathan and this six-fingered giant and it's just example after example after example of the demise of those who come against God it's another example of assurance for what happens and for us to hold on to our faith because you and I know the ultimate ending even though we may experience Things that are causing fear in us, or causing panic in us, or anxiety, or or just kind of wondering how this stuff is going to end. And what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, this is a a promise of God, one for us to, to hold on to. And it reads this. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord." We live in challenging times and the landscape of Christianity has changed so drastically over the decades. If you've been a Christian for a past couple of decades, you know this to be true. Things have changed very drastically from what you and I can say. We, we have to kind of wordsmith things so much more carefully today. And things that are said can be dis- distributed so much more quickly and then like trying to figure out how to defend those things, you can't retract those things. And so navigating those things and being wise about all this All the stuff that we say and put out is just so much more work than it used to be. Rest assured that all enemies of the Lord will be silenced, that it's just a different giant with a new tool, with a new sword. And we need to be encouraged and remain faithful in God who who keeps His Word. His Word is true, it does not change. His Word proves itself to be true, and you just have to look through all of the scriptures starting in Genesis, the promises to Abraham all the way through what he's done through Jesus Christ, that the promises have been fulfilled and they continue to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, at a time such as ours and through the many different temptations that we face and all the different streams of thought that come into our minds, especially our our young people. We pray, Lord, that your word shines forth in those things that you equip parents, guardians, to equip their children with your word to combat these giants that come our way, that they're relentless. It comes over and over and over again, and, and even when we think we've defeated a big one in Goliath, and yet we see that it's just nonstop, that the war continues for their souls. And some of us may be like a David where we've reached this place where going into battle is, is not the wisest thing anymore and that we've had, we, we need to be protected, that we grow weary in doing these works and that there are these others that the baton is handed to like a Jonathan and to recognize that Lord, to, to hand that baton off to those who are more ready, not as easily wearied. And so we pray, Lord, for, for that ability to humble ourselves and to recognize how to share that leadership and to, to spread that leadership more broadly. Our church, like many other churches, have um, suffered losses. And people leaving for different reasons and, and, and the trend of the church moving in the same direction, we're not an exception to that. But yet, Lord, you are so faithful and you give us remnants. You give us these different warriors to step up and I'm so thankful, God, that this is not just carried by me and elders and staff people, but there are so many others who are leading ministry here who are are in this fight to move forward your gospel and to hold faithful and true to your word. So I ask, Lord, for your blessing upon them. I ask, God, that you would equip them, that you would enrich them and, and speak to them whenever they are studying your word, whenever they're praying, whenever they're in fellowship, whenever they're in worship, that every spiritual discipline that they partake of, whether it's fasting or feasting, that, that you would speak to them, God, that they would hold true, that they would realize that this particular giant that's in front of them now is. Also, going to fail just like all the previous ones have. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have communion elements, and if you don't, just raise your hand and we can get that over to you. But if you have them, let's get these out. This promise that Jesus made at the Last Supper in the upper room, a promise that we've held on to for couple thousand years now and we're still waiting. But one that is representative of the giants before us and that he is so faithful to help us defeat them. That we are to hold true and we're encouraged to take this together regularly, frequently, this representing the body of Christ broken for us. Let's take this together in Jesus' name. The fruit of the vine, representing the blood of Christ, spilled for us, and again in this sacrament, this this promise of his return for us that we are all eagerly awaiting. Take this in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, thank you for these symbols, very, very rich symbols to show us your love, your grace, your mercy for us, the promise that you have for us, and that that does not change. We pray that we are able to hold on to our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.